Let's continue to pray for a moment. Let's just pray for the Lord to settle us, to bless us. We join with the prayers that have been prayed and we say, Father, we just come to you now and we particularly want to pray for members of this congregation, people gathered here today, people watching online. And we think today, Lord, of the friends and family of Bill Unsworth who's gone to be with you and we thank you for this man and the heritage he had as a part of this church. We thank you, Father, for those this morning who are able to come out today, but we also think of those who are unwell and we just pray for your healing, for your special touch of blessing on their lives. We pray this morning, Father, that you would just help us as we deal with the issues of life, employment, family, and many other things. And now as we open your word, we want you to speak into every heart here this morning. Speak your hope, your joy, your love. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the other morning I was... Uh, the the neighbour came banging on our door at 3am. And I, I was very thankful that I was already up that morning. You see, I got up early to play the bagpipes. And so <laughs> it really didn't bother me. Now, you laugh. But I, I know, I, I know this morning what so many of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, we've got a person in this congregation who plays the bagpipes and he's not part of the worship team. <laughs> who was thinking that? <laughs> yeah, we've got a few, see, I knew. <laughs> Let me tell you a true story. <laughs> when I started as a pastor in one church, I was looking after the youth group for a time. The youth leader had resigned. There was no other youth leader. And so I got to look after the youth group. So we organised a youth camp. And Andrew Serkin was our guest speaker. And um, if you know anything about Andrew, he loves worship. And so he was going to be talking about worship at this camp. And so I'm sitting back with the, the young people and we started to sing some songs. And the first song... I hear some of the people around me saying, that's a 10, that's a 10, I love this song. And we come to the next one, I hate this song, this is a one, don't like it. Uh, this one, third one, yeah, it's about a five. And I'm thinking, what is going on? They're rating the worship songs like the hit parade, you know, we've got the best and and the least of the ones that we like. And this was what we were calling worship. I shared this story with someone the other day and they said to me, I think if we're honest, we all do that at times. We may not be as forthright as the youth group in saying that's what we do, but sometimes I think 
we take time to rate the songs. We're going to be talking about worship this morning. And we had a great message last Sunday. And just to help you go back, last week, the, one of the headlines was, worship, every, worship is everything we do, all we have, all we do, all we suffer. Who remembers that? Great. Hey, Matt, somewhere, I don't even know where Matt is, but uh, somewhere listening. Today we're going to a passage that you may not think is, has anything to do with worship. But we'll see what the Lord says as we go through it. It's in Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into all the land that I am about to give, the, give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. That's God's word to us. Praise the Lord. These people were at a place of a new beginning. And they were trying to figure out how to live without Moses. They're facing a new future without the old leader. Now Moses was a mighty man of power and distinction. He was a man that knew how to speak face to face with God. And Moses had been their leader for 40 years. It was Moses that stretched out his staff over the Red Sea and it opened. It was Moses that brought down the Ten Commandments. It was Moses who established God's law. It was Moses who brought down the plans for the tabernacle. It was Moses who prayed and manna fell from heaven. It was Moses who made the bitter water sweet. It was Moses that prayed for the people that God would not wipe them out when God was about to do so. Everything they knew about God came from Moses. And it was Moses meeting with God that caused the mountains to shake and fire come down. 
It was Moses that cleansed the leprosy of Miriam. And if anyone had a problem, they would bring it to Moses because when God wanted to speak to someone, he would speak to Moses. When a plague came, it was Moses that lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. The problem was Moses had gone up the mountain and didn't come back. And in verse 2, God said plainly, Moses, my serpent, uh, not serpent, servant is dead. Moses was dead. Everything is changing. Now they're trying to work out what will life be without Moses. You see, the Israelites, they knew how to wander, but they didn't know how to build. And now they had to find a way to move forward. And the first thing they faced was change. And so we find, as my first point, the people faced change. There was change coming. A new leader. A new environment. New enemies. New challenges. So I'm wondering this morning, who here likes change. Yeah? I thought there'd be a few people put your hand up because, you know, there are some people that thrive on change. They love it. But the majority of us are somewhat frightened, scared of change. And they had to find a way to move forward. And when you find, what you need to find that way forward is you need an absolute. You need a rock. You need something that's not going to move when everything else is moving. And at that very moment when they were facing change and they needed an absolute, God spoke. And in verses 2 and 3, he says, Moses, my servant, servant is dead Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them. And in verse 3, he says, I'll give you every place where you set set your foot, as I promised Moses. You remember that story when the manna came from heaven and settled on the grass early in the morning? came from heaven. What did God do? God didn't put the manna in people's mouths. He put the manna within their reach. And God is saying now in verse 3, I'll get you into the promised land, but you will need to take it. Change is scary. It brings anxiety. It brings tension. It brings stress. And you need faith when all the facts are gone. 
When everything is changing around you, faith has its greatest relevance. You see, faith demonstrates its greatest power when life all around us is unstable. And so the future we find when it's uncertain and the props we had under us are giving away, that's when we discovered God. And when you discover God, what do you do? You worship. Bill Johnson has a little throwaway one line, and we'll put it up on the screen. I think it's great. God looks for worshippers. He doesn't look for worship. I think sometimes we get that back to front. Sometimes we think if we can just put our worship together in such a way that it pleases God looks for worshippers, not worship. And before we can worship, we need to change. We need to change our focus. Well, the people had to change their focus from Moses to God. They had to change their focus from idols in their lives to God. They had to change from their plans to God's plans. And when we face change, we've got to focus not on ourselves. We shift our focus from ourselves to God. From idols in our lives to God. From the plans we have to God's plans. From wandering wherever we want to building on God's promises. We need to change our focus to the one who is unchanging, because if we're going to move forward, you will need an absolute. So the first thing we're looking at this morning is change. We need to change if we're going to worship. The second thing is this. In Joshua 1, we discover that Joshua was cross-eyed. Have you ever read that in the Bible before? Hey, Joshua... He's cross-eyed. If you have a look at it, he says, well, the Bible tells us that Joshua is looking across the Jordan at the land, but he's also looking into the Jordan when the time comes at the Ark of the Covenant. And he's looking at these two things. And it's almost like there's a crossover. God, who is unchanging, the present promised land out there that holds you know what, who knows what. And the real gift right there before uh, Joshua is God's presence. In Joshua 1.5 we read, No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you've got your Bibles there and you're reading from your Bible, this is a, high, a part to highlight, especially that last part of verse 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You need to say that every day. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That becomes a focus in worship. That is an absolute, an absolute that you're hunting for. As you're looking to God, you know he's the rock, but you need to know God the rock will never leave you nor forsake you. You notice 
God never grieves over Moses. You know, God never stops and says, oh, my servant Moses, he's dead. What do we get? No, he, he simply says a statement. Moses, my servant, uh, servant, is dead. Joshua is your new leader. It's hardly a pause. It's not the land that caused Joshua to be cross-eyed. It was the presence. You find Joshua with one eye on the land and one eye on the Ark of the Covenant. He can see Jericho in the distance and he sees the Ark of God in his presence. If we flip forward a couple of chapters to Joshua chapter 3 verses 1 to 4, you'll know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the Ark because it doesn't come into our story in chapter 1. In chapter 3, we read early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out, went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are able to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. I want us to consider the ark for a moment. We've got a picture of it up there on the, on the screen. The ark. The ark of the covenant. Normally, it was in the holy of holies when the tabernacle was erected. It was in the heart of Moses' tabernacle. And later when the temple was built, it was right in the heart of the temple. And that's what the lambs and the animals were all about. That's what the smoke was all about. That's what the ripping of the veil was all about at the time of the cross. That's what our total focus is all about. The ark was the total focus for worship. It was the heart of worship. You see, the Ark of the Covenant was the heart of Moses' tabernacle. It was the Ark of the Covenant that the Shekinah glory rested. It was the Ark of the Covenant where the mercy seat was. It was the Ark of the Covenant that held the Ten Commandments. It was the Ark of the Covenant that held Aaron's rod that budded. It was the Ark of the Covenant that held the manna. It was the Ark of the Covenant that represented the very heart of God. And when they joined with the heart of God, they could move forward without fear. Joshua was concerned about God's presence. His whole focus and priority was God's presence. And it was like Joshua. He's standing there and he's looking at the Jordan where the ark is. And he's looking beyond and he sees Jericho and he's looking beyond and he's peering into that hazy distance across those desert plains. And somehow in the haze, he sees the cross. Now the cross had not been invented at that time as a means of execution. But somehow he peers across into the haze with God's presence the box that represents God's presence in the foreground. And somehow he sees into the promised land. Somehow the mercy of God will be unfolded. 
somehow God's saving power is going to be at work. Somehow these people are going to be drawn to God in this new land and people are going to be transformed by the goodness of God. And even before the cross was, Joshua is cross-eyed and sees into the future by faith, God at work in salvation and mercy and deliverance. We get a little of that picture in Hebrews 11. Joshua is not mentioned by name in Hebrews 11, but this is what it says in Hebrews 11 verses 30 and 31. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. That's Joshua and the team. By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. That's Joshua and the team. And as Joshua lived in God's presence, sometimes all he could see was the battle. But he knew God had the victory. All he could see was a mountain, but he knew God could see the mountain move. And he he knew when he walked through the shadow, God's love was surrounding him. And when he came to Jericho, God tore it down. um, Joshua is cross-eyed. He sees God, but he also sees the battle and the land and the mountains. And God destroying the enemy, the mountains and the opposition. And Joshua declared with the words that Phil Wickham so brilliantly writes in his um, song, Battle Belongs. When I fight, I'll fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. And if you're for me, who can be against me? Because Joshua is cross-eyed. He's got one eye on the land, one eye on the giant, the battles, and the other eye on God's mercy and presence. And the third thing, Joshua had clarity. As he's cross-eyed, usually you don't think of a a cross-eyed person as having clarity in vision. But when we fix our eye on God and his mercy and the cross and then fix our other eye on the battle in front of us, we start to get clarity. And Joshua now had position. He didn't worry about his position. He only cared for the presence of God. And God was saying, move everything else out of the way so you only see me. The Bible says in his presence there is fullness of joy. And you see, when we get into God's presence, we don't have to struggle to be happy. When we're in his presence, we have complete peace. When we're in his presence, people won't bother you like they bother you now. What does it mean? to be in his presence. Have you ever wondered about that? What does it mean? 
I often hear people say, especially on Sunday mornings, and it's not just here, I've been across, uh, working across numbers of churches and I hear it everywhere. People praying, Lord, please be with us today. I hear people say, as they're getting ready to go to work, Lord, please be with me today. Please be with us in this service. My question, where's he gone? Hey, where's he gone? You need to understand if the absolute has moved out of your thinking and that's what you're praying, you're saying the absolute has moved out of my thinking and God, please somehow let there be something absolute among us today. And many of you have prayed that this morning. And I think it's not something to ridicule or correct. It's something that should challenge us. Why are we praying that? Why do we feel that? And I believe God is wanting to speak to us all today and say, will you move the absolute one back in the central place in your life? A whole generation of Israelites missed the promised land because they took God for granted. Unbelief had built a barrier between them and God. And you see, unbelief is the root, I think it's the root of all sin. The presence of the Lord will bring down giants. And we need to walk in the presence of the Lord. Otherwise, what we get is we get religion without relationship. And if you've got religion without relationship, you're trying to please God instead of enjoy Him. And you talk all the time about your service to God. You go home and you think about, oh, I did this, I'm exhausted, I did this and I did that. And we talk to people and we say, I've shared my testimony and what we've done is we've talked about the church is doing this and the church is doing that. And what we're doing is we've got religion without relationship. But when you talk about God, and I met with God, and I sat with God, I sat at the feet of Jesus, something shifts. You see, we try to design worship around our feelings instead of sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Joshua, he had position, but he wasn't worried about his position. He was concerned about the presence, and his priority was the presence. And people today want positions. They want titles. They want recognition. They want comfort. They want security. And Joshua didn't worry about his position. He didn't focus on the promised land, even though he could see it. He cared about the, prom the presence of God. And God, is, God was saying, move everything else out of the way so that you only see me and my presence will go with you. And when the people joined with the heart of God, they then could move forward without fear. You see, we need to ask the question this morning, can God count on you to seek his heart? Or do you just seek his promises? Do you seek the heart of God or do you seek his hand? See, when we're in trouble, we seek his hand. 
But if you just seek his hand, you'll never build a relationship because you're only after his hands. You only get serious about God because you're after his hand and what's in it. You never build a relationship with him because you're not after his heart. And you get uncomfortable sometimes when you're in the room and the spirit is moving. There's nothing as uncomfortable as being in a room with someone who loves you and you don't love them. Because you know you're supposed to return the love. You don't feel like responding to their love. You don't know what to say. And that's why you don't like the worship part of the service sometimes. Because true worship demands that you bring your heart before God and be in the presence of God so that you can love him like he loves you. You see, God is after your hearts. You can go after the right thing the wrong way. But it, and you thought if you went after the right thing, you wouldn't have any problems. You thought if you meant well, everything would go right. You thought if you were in love, you're not going to have any problems in your marriage. You thought if you had a degree, everything would go well. You thought if you committed your life to Christ, everything would go well and you're still having problems and you wonder what's going wrong. And Joshua faces that first act of leadership and God speaks right through that whole of the, almost the whole of the first chapter of Joshua. God speaks. And what does God say? Well, I counted three times God's direct speech. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous three times. But then if you read on, now Joshua starts to repeat it. The people start to repeat it. And that becomes a theme in the book of Joshua. Be strong and courageous. And so what does Joshua do to respond to that? He goes after God's heart. How do we do that? When Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple, right in the heart of the city of Jerusalem, was ripped in two. Jesus is on the cross, the veil's ripped in two. The veil rips, what's behind the veil? Well, nothing, as far as I know. The Ark of the Covenant is gone. But there is still the Holy of Holies. It's a very sacred place and it's still in the heart of the temple and it still represents the very presence of God. If we put the Ark up again on the screen, we see angels on the top, their wings touching. That area in the middle is the mercy seat. The place where we find mercy. The place we find forgiveness. The place where we worship. Let's fast forward into the New Testament in John chapter 20. We've got a picture of Jesus had died on the cross. Now it's resurrection morning, but the disciples and the women had not discovered that Jesus had risen from the dead and Mary's outside the tomb and she's crying. And as she weeps, she looks over 
into the tomb and she sees two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. And she connects the dots. Jesus died like a slaughtered animal on the cross. You see, when you walk into the temple, when you walk into the tabernacle, what you get is you come into the foyer. And if you like, it's like perhaps like coming into the foyer on your way into the service on Sunday morning. What happens out there in the foyer? Well, we're greeted by great hosts. And people are saying hello, hugging, shaking hands when it's safe to do so, of course. Chatting. And there's that sense of expectation. We're coming to worship together. I'm transposing the temple onto here, which is, it leaves something lacking, but I want you to... To, to picture something here. And so what happens is, you come into that place, in the distance at the other end of the building is the Holy of Holies, that place where God's presence dwells, right at the heart of the temple. But as you come in, the first thing that greets you as you come past that initial barrier is you look, but it's more what you smell. You smell burning animals. It's not a Sunday roast smell. You smell the awful. You smell smoke, fire. And you're confronted by this mess. And if you lift your eyes beyond that, you see the place where the very heart of God dwells. That's unfolded for us at the cross. And if we put up the next slide, what has happened is Jesus died like a slaughtered animal on the cross. And the way into God's presence is open. And all Mary had to do is turn in belief. And as she looked at the empty tomb, it is like the flat slab where Jesus' body had lay becomes the mercy seat. And the angels on either end. And we find as we hear the words, he is not here, he is risen. Jesus is saying, I want you to be cross-eyed. I want you to see I am alive and alive forevermore. I want you to see that I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And I want you to worship Let me take you back to the story of the bagpipes, <clears throat> the bagpipes, <clears throat> right at the beginning. The knocking on the door was a disruption. Because in that story, I'm standing there with a bag of wind under my arm, and I'm pretending to worship. I'm pretending to make a noise that is acceptable to all who would hear. And all of a sudden, the knocking on the door is like God knocking on the, heart of our, uh, on the door of our heart and saying, don't you realise all you've got under your arm is a bag of wind and you're doing it for your own glory. You are seeking yourself instead of seeking after me. And when we hear the knock, 
and we realize what we're doing is totally inappropriate. We lift our eyes from that and we start to stop going after what we believe to be the right thing the wrong way and we start to seek the right person in the right way. We've got to be strong and courageous and go after God's heart. I'd like to pray for us as we finish this morning. I think we all need to respond to this in some way. Some will respond negatively and some positively. As you sit there, think about how you worship. Think about God's presence. And if your ache this morning is to worship God and know him and know his presence, then I want to pray for you. Let me pray. Lord, I believe many of us this morning are choosing right now to worship you with our whole beings. And Lord, you're the one that knows how to break through the difficulties in our lives. And so, Father, we choose this morning not to be overwhelmed with circumstances, but instead we choose to behold your beauty and your greatness. You're our victorious God. We want to praise your name and proclaim your salvation every day. We want to declare your glory among the nations, your marvelous deeds among all peoples like it says in the Psalms. And so, Father, this morning, teach us how to ascend your throne in worship, to your throne in worship, and help us to then descend back to the harvest fields here on earth. Help us, Father, to be able to pray and war for victory in our area of life, in your power, in your strength. And Father, would you remove the crooked ways, the crooked paths, and make them straight in our lives. Help us to have a lifestyle of worship and thank you in every situation and believe that worshipping you is a key to breakthrough in every area of our lives. We know, Lord, that your truth dwells in a worshipping heart. And we want to offer right now to you a sacrifice of praise. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.